Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. listening from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio my name is joe hughes or radio joe here with me in the studio is my co-host cliff slotnick hey joe it's a pleasure as always the z-man we got any music for the z-man yet what's the hold up oh yes i believe we do today come on because he is the godfather after all (laughs) is he not We've got the cyber jockey, Zach Slotnick, also. And yep, on I'm the here. phone with us, we have to get some music for our next uh, next uh, partner here and is our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wild. Dieter is number three there. Hello, Dieter. Are you there? Yeah, I'm unmuted. Good uh, good day. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good, good day, evening. Good day to you, too, Dieter. Good to have I'm you back. I'm back from a little vacation. I was last Friday. I was on the road, but that's okay. Uh, how was Jamaica this time? Jamaica this time, yeah. I checked out a lot of uh, rooms for moles. <laughs> they, have a, they have an easy system down there. You just paint over it. Paint over it. Anyway, well, I, I guess I've got a question for you, uh, whether or not uh, candida yeast infections are transferable between sexes, Dieter. I don't know. Do you know about that? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Stay away from us. (laughs) Darn good chance, huh? Okay. Okay. Well, thank you, Dieter, for joining us, and uh, welcome back to the mainland. And we will be bringing you in from time to time. Sounds good. Okay. uh, To contact me, uh, you can email me at joe.hughes, at iaqtraining.com. Today's segments include the microband trivia quiz. Our special guest today is Mr. John Downey, the founder of Clean Facts. And uh, we are actually, that's going to be our only guest today because he is a pioneer and a founder. We, we, we love having these uh, pioneers on. This will be fun. Uh, before we get started, though, let's say thanks to a couple of our sponsors, Microband Systems, the Microbial Management Company, at microbandsystems.com, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com, Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dryease, that's D-R-I hyphen E-A-Z.com, and John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop 
at johndon.com. We've also now got the Restoration Forum link up on our site, so we can link back and forth with them as well. To contact the show, you can go to talkshoe.com, get your directions uh, for a PIN number. Our show ID is 1547. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust. Trust at iaqtraining.com. I'm going to turn it over to my co-host Cliff for the microband trivia question. Just as a matter of procedure here, we are changing our trivia procedure for IAQ Radio. Basically, we now have a new, we now have a brand new website at iaqradio.com, complete with forums. On the forum every week, we will be posting our trivia question. Forums.iaqradio.com. The first person to answer it correctly gets the prize. And back to you, Cliff. Okay, thanks, Zach. Well, no one answered last week's trivia question, so it's still in play, and it's equally as fitting this week as it was last week, because last week was an IAQ media and publishing show, and we have a pioneer from the industry as well, and the question came from that background, so I'm going to pose it again. This is a publishing newspaper question. What is the connection between the word rosebud and newspaper? What is the connection between rosebud and newspaper? The trivia question for Friday, April 27th, 2007. Zach, the envelope, please. This is a question that comes out of the cleaning industry, so we could call it a clean facts question. What is the commonality between these individuals and the years? Lyman F. Thompson, 1950. Fred Hayes, 1966. C.R. Howeran, 1971. Judson Jones, 1971. William F. Bain, 1977. Jack Bates, 1978. William Wisdom, 1979. Michael Palmer, 1979. Again, the question is, what is the commonality between these individuals and those years? Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. CJ, could you go back, just give me one more shot at how do we get this uh, information again? You have to go to forums? Yes, you have to go to www.iaqradio.com, click on forums on the top right on that banner, and that will take you to the forums, and there will be a trivia thread there. And in every week, we'll, we will create a new posting with that week's trivia question in it. Just hit post reply, get a username, and post the answer. Great. Thank you. For the uh, computer illiterate like myself, I thought we'd get a little better, <laughs> a little more detailed description there. All My right. apologies. No, nah, no problem, Zach. Sometimes we don't understand what you're saying, and uh, we understand. I understand why. Anyway, our first guest today is Mr. John Downey, a fourth-generation carpet cleaner and veteran of nearly 35 years in the industry. He founded and served as the managing editor and publisher of Clean Facts magazine from 1989 until he sold Clean Facts to national trade publications in 1997. 
He continued as editor of Clean Facts until 2000. From 2000 until 2005, he worked with his brother Mike to develop a nationwide distribution system for the Steeman Demon, a high-flow extraction-based cleaning system that Mike invented in the latter 1990s. In 2005, Downey started Downey's Carpet Care of Granville, his hometown where he works with his son Kevin and is a big-time Buckeye fan. Hi, Joe. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hello, Great. John. Welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for that kind introduction. Okay. <laughs> and, and I do have last, I do know last week's trivia answer. Okay. Oh. Well, that's good. <laughs> can we, but I won't share it. Okay, but you can post it. I am going to. Okay, go uh, ahead. As soon as we're done. All right. Well, uh, no problem. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, first of all, I guess what I'd like to know is, did you have a formal business plan for Clean Facts magazine, or did you just wing it? Pretty much just wing it, winged it. I, I guess you don't <laughs> wing it, do you? <laughs> well, you, you can wing yeah. it. But <laughs> I'm good with grammar on the written page, but when I talk, it kind of is a little bit different. Uh, you know, I winged it. But I, I wouldn't say I definitely did not have a formal plan when I started. Um, but I, you know, I, I had a vision, and and I guess I think a lot of people, uh, when they start something new and different, they got they start with a vision. And my vision, I really could see how it would develop, and 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 in many ways, in most ways. Uh, the magazine pretty much developed exactly as my vision uh, going into it uh, was. So it was, now later on, you know, as I became more successful, I you know started doing more of the professional business plan type stuff, and uh, it was beneficial in many ways. But in my experience, uh, nothing is as important as that vision. John, now this is, as I mentioned, about 35 years back. So we're talking, what, 1972-ish, I guess. What other, um, I guess my question would be, what when you started Clean Facts, what business niche did you feel wasn't being filled by competitive publications, if there were any? Well, uh, w- one thing to clarify, Clean Facts, uh, my business experience in the carb cleaning industry goes back to 72. Uh, we started Clean Facts as a business in 1989, or I started in 1989. 89, okay. Uh, it w- was when the magazine was first started, and, and, and to give credit where credit's due, uh, it really has its origins in a trade association that no longer exists, but was merged with uh, uh, the Society of Cleaning Technicians. Uh, the trade association I was one of the founders of was uh, the UCCI or United Carpet Cleaners Institute. And what became Clean Facts started out as the uh, UCCI newsletter, which became a magazine and uh, ultimately became, uh, it, I, I spun it off from the association because, the, it, frankly, with the limited distribution it got uh, as a UCCI publication, it was costing the association uh, needed funds with every issue. It, it 
the numbers just don't work for a regional carpet cleaning magazine. So uh, I, I expanded it nationwide and started working with a variety of different associations in different areas. To answer your question, <laughs> I, I, I guess I'm, I, I will, uh, I'll have to be, speak candidly, which uh, is something I'm kind of known for. <laughs> the reason I got into the business and the niche that wasn't being met, in my opinion, was for a magazine that really connected with carpet cleaners and kept the interests of carpet cleaners as the focus of the content of the magazine. To explain, essentially at the time, uh, there were, there, really there was one primary uh, magazine, which at the time was Installation Specialist Magazine, which today is now ICS, Cleaning Specialist. Uh, and at that time, basically, that magazine was nothing but ads and advertorials. And the focus, I felt, of the magazine was on the people that, frankly, brought it the revenue, and that was the advertisers. That were the vendors that uh, sold stuff to carpet cleaners. But it really didn't focus on what carpet cleaners wanted or needed. And uh, I just I felt very strongly as a carpet cleaner myself, because I, you know, before I started the magazine, I had about 15 years, 15 plus years in the uh, carpet cleaning business. I just published a magazine that that was the type of magazine that I wanted to read as a carpet cleaner, but wasn't available. John. Um... I guess Let's so. talk. I, I want to talk about the things that I guess really um, motivate you and, and might be meaningful to you, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, can you tell me, like, the most recent book that you read, or a couple of books that uh, that you read, or these business books, or about life books, or uh, what sort of publications do you read, John? Uh, well, first of all, on books, it, you know, I've I've kind of. I guess I, I kind of hyper-focus on things, but um, I've been reading an, an awful lot of spiritual literature. Uh, I've uh, kind of really been focused on that for the past, really for the past few years. Bi the Bible's one of them, which I still haven't finished. I kind of skip around in that. But I've <laughs> I read a, a, several books from C.S. Lewis, um, and mostly the, the one that stands out that was kind of the uh, really made a difference for me is Mere Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I read a book uh, a couple years ago, and I've reread it twice now uh, by a, a man named John Eldridge called Wild at Heart, which is a, a fabulous book that I would recommend. Uh, really for men and also for women who if they want to really understand what makes men tick. Uh, and you know, so it, those have been the books that I've read. Um, I've read several others of, of similar sorts. I've read uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton. He, I've read several of his books, including Orthodoxy. Um, so that's been my focus. As far as business publications, you know, I I basically get all the carpet cleaning magazines, the uh, ICS and Clean Facts, and uh, 
cleaning and restoration. I also, because of the five years that I spent working in the facilities market, when I was working with this, uh, with my brother for Steam and Demon in developing that market, uh, the primary market that we were targeting was facilities, uh, schools, universities, hospitals, nursing homes, and places like that. So I've really started, in addition to the like carpet cleaning magazines, there's magazines like Sanitary Maintenance, Buildings Magazine, Executive Housekeeping Today, Services, uh, Campus Facility Maintenance, and a variety of other magazines that are all about, frankly, the janitorial business, uh, in-house as well as uh, outsourced to building service contractors. Um, you know, I used to read a lot more business publications than I do. I used to uh, love to read Inc. magazine, which um, I don't. I don't take that magazine anymore because I've kind of. Uh, narrowed my business interests, and I'm not uh, I'm not as aggressive as a businessman as I once was. I'm I'm focused on other things. Uh, and the magazine that I've read forever, it, as long as I've been in the carpet cleaning business, and Cliff, you might find this interesting since you kind of uh, you've read Clean Facts going back to probably pretty much the time that I started publishing it. I have every issue. Do you? That's great. Uh, but when when I started Cleanfax, you talk about kind of a seat-of-the-pants thing. The magazine, I patterned it after, not in terms of content, but in terms of design and also many of the features, is a magazine, a very conservative uh, magazine that is a bi-weekly called National Review. Mm-hmm. So when I, you know, it... I always loved National Review, and so when I started publishing Clean Facts, I said, well, you know what? I, I don't want this to look like People Magazine. I want it to look like something that's needy, like National Review. And so that magazine I've read forever, and I, as long as it's out and as long as I'm around, I'll continue to read it. John, I've got two questions. One, I, I'm curious, um, you mentioned that you know the other publications seem geared more towards... Um, Towards the advertisers, and, and I'm familiar. I, I'm familiar with the publishing business a little bit. You know, sure. Was your game plan to um, make some income from the sale of the magazine, or was it strictly from the advertising, or a combination of both? Um, both. Although the bulk of this was what was weird, and people really thought I was crazy to do this, but this was part of the vision. When I when I I knew that the bulk of my revenues were going to come from advertisers, okay. but I also believed fervently that if I focused on advertisers, my readership would would not be good. That they people may get the magazine, but they kind of thumb through it, look at the pictures, and then toss it aside. So. I made a determination. First, the first thing I decided was a lot of trade magazines have 60 to 70 percent of their total pages are in advertising. I decided that it would that I would flip that and sit, uh, approximate or at least 60 percent of the uh, the pages had to be editorial copy, had to be information, articles, etc. 
uh, and 30 to 40 percent would be advertising. I also, from the first day I published the magazine on a national basis, it was by a pretty substantial amount the most expensive magazine for advertisers to advertise in. And it was for two reasons. Number one, I, when I started the magazine, I decided I was going to reach every carpet cleaner I could. So I basically bought a list and sent it to everybody. We sent out about 30,000 uh, copies of the magazine at the time, and I think ICS circulation was a, approximately half that. Um, the, the thing that I wanted to do, and, and I was successful doing, I think, was I wanted advertisers to ad advertise with me, not because I kissed their rear ends, but because their customers read my magazine. And so in the ideal world for me, the, the suppliers would be advertising with me, but not happily so. And I know that sounds goofy, but it really worked pretty well that way. I mean, I, I, I really felt that if I focused on them, I would lose the readership. And uh, I think I, time has proved me right uh, in the way I, I went about it. And advertisers, you know, we didn't have a ton of advertisers to start with, and I was expensive, and they thought, my God, are you crazy? <laughs> you're... You know, you're for a page. You're eight hundred dollars more than the competition. What's what's the deal? <laughs> and you're the new guy in the block. But I had enough uh, advertisers that I, you know, that I talked to, who were willing to take that leap of faith with me. You know, I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of suppliers in the industry. Um, actually, I know this to be the case. They kind of felt the same way I did. That they felt like magazines that focus on them aren't real effective because they really aren't connecting with the reader. And if you don't connect with the reader, it doesn't matter if the advertisement's there. If it doesn't get read, it's not going to be effective. Well, not, not being like Cliff and not having copies of those earlier versions, I have followed the magazine probably the last five years or so. How did you um, come up with that content when you switched it from 60 to 70% advertising to 60 to 70% content? Did you go to you know, people within the industry to write articles? Did you write them yourself? How did you go get to the point where you were able to supply that amount of content? Sounds like a pretty tough job. Well, um, maybe I was too stupid to know I couldn't do that. But, um, <laughs> Really, I did go. the 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 first group, or the primary group that I tapped into, was kind of a group that today is huge and 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 proven. But back at at that time, was kind of still getting its uh, feet, so to speak, or, or really getting a grip on what it was, and that was. Uh, people that educated carpet cleaners, people that did schools and seminars. Um, and uh, I would ask them to write articles. There were also, you know, so what I did is I tried to find experts, and then I also used, there's an awful lot of car carpet cleaner cleaners 
who have a lot of experience uh, and a lot of knowledge uh, that they may not be accomplished journalists or writers, but if they could get me, the, the challenge for me wasn't getting the information. I had no problem uh, you know, recruiting people to write for the magazine. Mm-hmm. What was more challenging was converting articles that were sometimes pretty rough in, in what was submitted into something that was more polished. And remembering, actually, you know, I don't, you wouldn't necessarily know this. Cliff and I uh, talk a little bit about it, but uh, Mike's, I, I have no journalism degree. I, you know, I, I did not come from the journalism side. So as an editor, I, kind of, I was very much a seat-of-the-pants editor. I think I have a gift for writing, and that served me well. And, and uh, I had some people working with me who were pretty good editors, and that helped a lot as well. Um, my rule with, with um, by the way, uh, manufacturers and suppliers was they could write in the magazine, but they couldn't write about what they sold. So, for instance, mm-hmm. if, if Cliff were to write an article, he'd write something on marketing. If uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to think, of, you know, somebody was uh, sold truck mounts, they could write about, uh, I don't know, deodorizing or cleaning traffic lanes, you know, effective traffic lane cleaning techniques or something like that. But I, I didn't want them talking about their product. And people respected that, and, and I rarely very rarely had people that attempted to circumvent that. And in a few cases when I did, frankly, I was difficult to get along with in, in that <laughs> regard. And it, it, But the people respected that. I mean, you know, a lot of times you set, it, it's like, like <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't mean to say it's like dealing with children, but in a way, you know, you set boundaries and then they're going to test it. It's like dealing with teenagers i've had a lot of teenagers right well, you set boundaries and and then they test them and then you reestablish what the boundaries are and and they respect you for it and you know i i guess i felt good that what the way we did it what the result for everybody was a good thing was a positive thing the people that advertised with us got good response to their advertisements. And the people that wrote for us, because there was an integrity to the editorial content of the magazine, um, benefited from that. And then more people wanted to write for us as a result of that. Sounds like a winning formula. What, What are you most proud of with respect to your accomplishments with the magazine? Well, I think really what we've just talked about, uh, the fact that I was able to kind of create a different uh, trade magazine model, one that really focused on uh, the readers, the carpet cleaners in this case. Uh, (laughs) That, full disclosure, requires me to... I'm pretty proud of the fact that I was able to sell the magazine, you know, about ten years later for 
a good sum. It's helped my family. <laughs> That's great. That's fascinating. I love having the pioneers on here to tell us these things. You know, speaking of pioneers, in your historical perspective, John, can you name three or four people who've made a difference in the industry, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, and explain why and how from your perspective that they were able to accomplish that? Sure. I'm not sure if I can keep it to three or four, but <laughs> I'll try. Okay. Um, really, the one person in my mind stands out above anybody else, uh, and I've written about this uh, d both during the time I owned the magazine and subsequently, and that's uh, Ed York. Uh, and Ed York, boy, when you talk about positive and negative, <laughs> that's a description of Ed York. I mean, he, uh, I'll tell you uh, kind of a funny story about uh, my thoughts on Ed, and, and actually I talked to him about this, but he didn't do it. He was the only guy that uh, I thought, we, have, we had a feature in the magazine called The Great Debate. We'd have two people debate different sides to a given issue. And York was the only, he was the one guy, ultimately it was done by Pete Consigli later on, but Ed was the only guy that I had the idea that he could debate himself in the magazine and do a great job on both sides. But the only problem was he'd end up mad at himself. <laughs> he probably wouldn't be talking to himself after he was done. But York, the most creative, inventive uh, guy the carpet cleaning industry has seen in my experience, um, created you know, many of the organizations that are, uh, and, and organizations as well as concepts that are commonplace in the industry today. IICRC started, uh, was started by or, or York, uh, the Society of Cleaning Technicians, which is now the SCRT. ISCT or something. I, I, the acronyms keep changing. Right. Uh, you know, what was it, Sir Clean a Lot and um, Steam Services, really the first national mail order distributor, as I recall. Cliff, you, I mean, oh, they, you've they been were, involved. They, they, uh, um, and, uh, what's uh, DKI? Disaster, yeah. yeah. I mean, a, so many things Ed uh, had the idea for. Ed's problem was. He was such a maverick that he, you know, basically alienated most of the people uh, that uh, he did business with. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Now, it would seem that he almost had a curse for, uh, I think, having people fall in love with him, and then he would somehow do something to screw up the relationship, and, you know, it would just kind of come out of the blue, and, you know, you look at the people that he did business with and was closely associated with uh, in his life, uh, there's, uh, you know, this trail of success, and then there's this collateral damage in terms of personal relationships. And I agree with you that he's never sure. received the respect, uh, you know, that he deserves. And, uh, I mean, to this day, the IICRC is real. I mean, they have a Founders Award, but doesn't have his name on it. <laughs> it won't name names. Right, right. Which is, well... So who else besides Ed? Well, I think Lloyd Weaver is somebody who uh, should, I mean, he 
I mean, he was the he was the beginner of the water damage restoration industry, and um, in many ways, like York, uh, and a, a great idea man. But uh, you know, and, and I named uh, 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 what uh, Dries. Oh, Claude Blackburn. Claude Blackburn, right. our person of the year one year. And uh, and when I interviewed Claude for the for the uh, article, I, I asked him about Lloyd, and and he, which speaks to the integrity of of Claude, he immediately gave an, all the credit for the ideas that Claude turned into a viable business to Lloyd. And uh, so I mean, Lloyd is, I mean, he changed. He create he didn't so much change. He created a offshoot of the carpet cleaning industry. Um, another guy, or actually two, I'm not sure who I really want to give the credit to are, are uh, Jack Bates and Wes Bates. Jack is the founder of Stanley Steamer, and his son Wes, I think, is probably the man most responsible for Stanley Steamer uh, gaining the reputation among consumers as kind of the brand for the carpet cleaning industry. And I know a lot of people may think that the Stanley Steamer is not as good as they should be or whatever, but the bottom line is they have a, they have developed a great brand. They more than any other individual company, in my opinion, have raised the awareness of professional carpet cleaning, just through their marketing and advertising, and you know they they do good stuff that way. I mean, they have good ads. They've got sharp, slick, professional stuff, and uh, I think that's a an important element in the industry. And and I know that they don't get a lot of credit because partially because, frankly, I think people are jealous of the success that Stanley Steamer has enjoyed, um, and partially because you know. It may be in a purely technical sense that their business model does not have them doing as good a work as maybe some people think they should be doing, but you know doesn't change the fact the consumers i and 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 they unlike companies that are bait and switch operators they don't I don't think they've ever given the industry a black eye. You know, I, I, I think just in, in, in further that comment, John, you know, owning a carpet cleaning business, you probably have the same feeling that I had when uh, we were active in that field was no one in my company was going to clean the carpet as good as I was. Uh, but I would train the people and, and kind of put them out there. So the bottom line is these people that have these opinions that Stanley Steamer doesn't clean carpet as good as they do also have the same opinion that their best technician doesn't clean carpet as well as they would either. <laughs> By the way, John, right. uh, I just wanted to let our listeners know we did have one of your pioneers on, and, and it was a great show. Lloyd Weaver was on and did a great job for us, and uh, that's archived for those listeners that are interested in going back. Let's talk that's a little great. bit more. Uh, yeah, he was, a, oh, he was a lot of fun, actually. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your opinion on, you know, what's happened in your time um, as far as what are the best things that have happened with respect to the cleaning industry over the last 30 years or so? 
Well, I think, um, and I'll probably flip on some of these things if we, we also talk about the good and the bad, the yin and the yang. Let's but do that. Let's I do that. I think training and certification is a tremendous good thing. I think truck mounts um, were a good thing for the industry. It changed um, perceptions on some things. Um, I think there uh, there would be other. I'm I'm trying. I'm drawing a little bit of a blank because I'm thinking more in big picture things, and those are kind of the big picture things that I've seen uh, in the industry over the past thirty years. What about the carpet cleaners branching into other areas? Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? You know that. That you know what that's that like the others. That it's a, it's a great thing to bring up. I think it's a good thing, and I think it's a bad thing. Uh, I, I think it's a good thing because, um, it, it, to my mind, it makes sense if you're going to be providing services in people's homes that you expand the scope of what you do. Uh, the bad part of it, I think, is that it has, depending on, it has a tendency for a smaller company, company especially, to divide them into more pieces than they're capable of of having and and doing effectively mm-hmm. uh, a, a good friend of mine who passed away a couple years ago um, uh, said that um, the the um, the the carpet cleaners all want to get into something different and yet there is, and yet there's so much carpet to be cleaned that isn't either isn't cleaned or isn't properly cleaned. There's so, there's so much more of that market that they leave behind because they're always chasing. It's kind of the grass is always greener uh, type thinking. By the way, the the guy is Buzz Cohen, mm-hmm. uh, who I was talking about. So Buzz always felt like carpet cleaners all want to get into doing everything but carpet cleaning. But then they're leaving an awful lot of good stuff in the carpet cleaning business undone. Uh, and yet, you know, I think an awful lot of diversification has been good. I mean, really, the disaster restoration industry, uh, I, I think, really was birthed in the carpet cleaning industry. And, and it's really, you know, Cliff, I, I like your feedback on this, but it seems to me like, you know, they, they've really, they're two different industries in many ways today. Uh, whether you're talking water uh, and flood, or you're talking, you know, fire and smoke, um, and, and I think that's been beneficial. And, and maybe people that uh, diversified into those other areas found a niche that, frankly, their skill uh, skill level, skill set matched those other areas better than it did, as I say fondly, scrub and rug. Um, does that does that make sense? Yeah, and, I, I, and Cliff, what do you think about uh, like with disaster restoration? I, I think one of the reasons that people got into disaster restoration, primarily fire restoration, because I think that was uh, considered a wider uh, water 
damage restoration. Every carpet cleaner that, that cleans carpet dealt with water losses. So that was very, very natural to be called for those and have to respond to them, particularly if it was a good customer. On the fire side, I think that's something that took, uh, you know, it took some, uh, it took some risks. And I think fire damage was considered a lot more complicated, a lot more sophisticated, a lot riskier, and that's probably one of the reasons that it attracted people. I think a lot of people that are really in disaster restoration tend to be uh, some pretty big risk takers. Uh, I've got a question for you that really deals with both carpet cleaning and water damage restoration. And the question really is, carpet cleaners today still use soap and water to clean synthetic plastic fibers. Uh, do you think that the trade is intentionally overcomplicated by manufacturers, trade associations, you know, certification organizations, franchisers, uh, so on and so forth? You know, water damage really hasn't changed much since Lloyd created it, but now you have just, you know, there are more meters and it's more complicated and there's mold and so on and so forth. And I don't know whether this stuff is really there. People just make it up. You know, <laughs> boy, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> oh, just and, wait. I have some better and I, and ones. Will, I'm sorry? <laughs> just wait. I have some better ones. <laughs> <laughs> I think, first of all, yes, it tends to be overcomplicated. I mean, cleaning, especially, I start with, with cleaning. Um, the fundamentals of cleaning haven't changed one iota in thousands of years. Right. Uh, the tools we use change. Uh, and so, you know, that kind of, we, you know, I said, to kind of go back, I talked about truck mounts as being a very positive thing. I also think, in some ways, truck mounts have been a very negative thing, in the sense that they have loaded up uh, a lot of companies with huge overhead in terms of the cost of the, uh, for a small mom-and-pop company, for the cost of the equipment and cost of uh, operating the equipment. And I'm not sure that it necessarily... De need will deliver a uh, actually I'm sure that there's other ways that you can deliver just as good a job without all that cost and expense mm -hmm. but then to flip it back again the good thing about that is that those people that have invested in that more complex piece of equipment and then the training that goes with it they do tend to be more committed to the industry because they, they've got to be. Uh, but it's also broken some people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we, but I think that's our culture tends to complicate things. Um, maybe that's part of uh, capitalism is complicating things. That's Actually, that's consumerism. and uh, you, know, you create new markets by doing that. And going into the water damage, you're exactly right. The fundamentals, once again, haven't changed. But there is new knowledge and, and tools that I think have helped uh, in many ways. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that it, I can see the benefits of how... Uh, I can see that there are tangible benefits that have, have come from the 
um, making it maybe a little bit more complex and making it uh, um, sophisticated, if that's the word. How can carpet cleaning be sophisticated? Uh, but on the other hand, um, you know, what's interesting is for me, where I am today versus where I was 20 years ago, I'm not a certified firm. Frankly, I haven't gone to any classes since I started this new business. Uh, I use a very simple, basic cleaning system that I think really works well. Um, and so I've kind of distanced myself from a lot of the things that you're talking about uh, because I don't think they're essential. And um, that, that you don't know how different that is from where I was 20 years ago, where I was one of the big people uh, cheering for training and certification and better systems and things like that. So maybe with maturity, we I don't know if it's wisdom or not, but it certainly is a, I'm, I'm a different man than I was before. John, in your in the magazine, you're always outspoken. Is there one hot spot or sore spot that you hit in that magazine that most comes to mind? Oh, looks like John got disconnected. We'll uh, have to have him dial back in. And in the meantime, I wanted to go to uh, Doctor Dieter anyway. Let's see if we've still got Dieter on the line. Dieter, are you there? Yes, I'm there. I just got unmuted. All right. Dieter, what do you think so far, Dieter? Well, I <laughs> was reminded again that I have to do some serious spring <laughs> cleaning in my house. Spring cleaning time, huh? And uh, it's yeah, carpet cleaning. For me, I'm, I'm looking here at my office. I probably have to spend a day to get all the bookshelves out that we can clean the carpet you know, correctly. There is so much junk in here and drawers and desks and computers and more of your, well, you know the books I have around me. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that is, it's not the carpet cleaning or the cost. It's just a pain in the neck to get the room, you know, the missionary work you have to do before you can get started. I, I can imagine in certain, well, we had the... Uh... Who was our dispose-a-phobia guest uh, in certain Ron places? <laughs> yeah, with Ron Alfred's, uh, with his clients, they'd have to uh, charge him a whole heck of a lot they extra. They'd have to hook you up. <laughs> All right, it looks like we've got uh, John back on the line here. Let's see. John, yeah, are you back? I don't back? know what happened. I thought maybe you guys didn't like what I was saying. No, <laughs> we love to, we, and we love to have the... No, I was just going to... I thought maybe you didn't like the question, which, you know, <laughs> which I'm going to pose again, and hopefully it doesn't go blank. Is, you know, what was the biggest sore spot that you hit in the magazine? Is there one that's memorable? Um, well, I'll tell you uh, what is memorable at, at the end, and, and, and is, um, and actually it was a, it was something that was a continuing theme for me in the magazine from the time I started that, and that was, I was a big supporter, uh, of, of the IICRC and training and certification. And, you know, I, I felt like CleanFax was probably its biggest cheerleader. And towards the, and it was one of those things where 
uh, I felt like as time went on and the IICRC became more successful, uh, it, it's the it's the old thing about power corrupting, and you know I, I felt like the IICRC in many ways, and I know this probably isn't politically correct, but that's what I'm known for. Go for it, Tom. Created a lot of problems. Um, well, I shouldn't even say created a lot of problems. There was the IACRC did a lot of good, but within the organization, there is a corruptive influence from the power it attained, and as a consequence, um, you know, although it, it has in the past and continues today to do a lot of good. I have big concerns about um, its position in the industry uh, and its apparent um, lack of, of checks against that power. Uh, I, I just feel like the IICRC um, has a need to be more of a humble organization than it is. And, uh, I, you know, I, I just, I addressed that at the end of my tenure in the magazine and um, in, a, in a much nicer way than I just said it. And I was attacked savagely for it, which was, was kind of weird. As they talk about, you know, be careful what you do with people that buy ink by the barrel and that was and, and that was one of those instances where I just thought wow that is weird but it really you know it, truthfully it it turned me off in many ways I when I when I ended my tenure uh, with clean facts towards that particular organization in specifically I was rather disillusioned and and I and, and from the little that I know going forward from there, I don't think things have changed a lot. Well, John, you know, you, you know you've kind of pointed out a problem, and um, I think that that's fair enough. What type of solution do you think would fix it? You know, I, I think w with your v wisdom and, and vision and experience and so on and so forth, how could they take the good things that are there and, you know, build upon them and, uh, you know, what, what suggestions would you give them in terms of turning it around? You know, if you were hired as CEO to go in there and turn that organization around, what would you do? Well, I'm not sure I'm the best guy to answer the question, but I will give it a shot. Okay. And the reason I'm not sure I'm the best guy to answer the question is at the time they were developing the structure that they have, I was pretty supportive of what they were doing. And, it, and once again, then I looked and saw what was created, and I thought, oh, my Lord. Um, but I think you know, there are a few things that, that concern me with the ISCRC in particular. One is the power of that organization is in a relatively few hands, uh, and it, it, although it's supposedly an open body, it really, in my opinion, is not... Uh, open and is not as much of a consensus-based organization as they, as they like to pre, uh, present it to be. Um, I and, and this is one of the things I wrote several years ago when I was attacked for, for, for daring to write it. 
uh, was, you know, I, I think the structurally the IICRC needs to change. There, the truth of the matter is that in terms of substance, there is very little IICRC. Uh, it, it's administered by subcontractors. It has subcontractors handling the technical area. Uh, it has subcontractors handling uh, the, I, the, the survey. Pardon? Standards. Standards area. Um, and in terms of having its own um, guts, there really it, it isn't. And uh, in that structure, which worked when it was a young, growing organization, um, there's a lot of inefficiencies. And, and candidly, I think there are a lot of people, not a lot of people, a few people making a lot of money um, at the expense of the registrants uh, because of the structure that you have. And the money doesn't go so much to the IICRC, it goes to contractors. I don't think those are bad people. Uh, in fact, I know all of the people that are kind of the key or inside people and I've known him for a number of years, but it's that area where uh, the power corrupts. So to answer your question in a kind of a general sense, I think you need to create uh, a, a, a mechanism for dispersing power and not allow so much power to land in a few's hands, and more importantly, or just as importantly, stay in those few people's hands. John, John, is that the result? Of, or I'm curious, how do the registrants get more power? Is that possible in the current structure? No, I don't think so. Not in the current structure. Um, actually, and that, that's a, a great question and, and point, because in the current structure, uh, I... I Harken back to my thing with clean facts. The real customers of the IICRC should be the um, registrants. Uh, but I don't think the IICRC really serves the interests of the registrants as well as they could. I think, kind of like with trade magazines focused on the um, uh, the advertisers typically, the IICRC, really focuses on the people that deliver the training, the educators. And Cliff, I know that, I, I assume you're still an a, a IICRC-approved instructor. But I, I, yeah, I, I am. I'm actually uh, a board member uh, as well. So some of the things that you said, uh, I, I take to heart. And, um, you know, I, I think that you made some good suggestions in terms of uh, you know, separations of power and, and checks and balances and, and so on and so forth. You know, I look at our great country that, that we have, and, uh, you know, if we didn't have those systems, you know, you, you end up, you know, with anarchy, you know, and, and I right. think that's one of the, uh, I think it's a very, very good point. And, you know, the IICRC is young. I mean, in terms of, you know, it's been around the 30 years that we've been around, but I mean, in terms of like the United States, you have to go through these, you know, these evolution uh, right. processes, but I do think that there are a lot of things that they do well, and it's just a matter of, uh, 
you know, making some improvements and unloading some of the people that are overloaded, uh, you know, with tasks and responsibilities and uh, so on and so forth. I think, I think spreading it around is, uh, is, 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 is a very, very good point. Well, John, as a, as a novice out here, I'm not a, you know, an expert on carpet cleaning or the IIC or C. I am a registrant, and that's why I asked the question. But how important is it to have a carpet cleaning standard and – how good is the carpet cleaning standard that exists now? I've got a, an expert witness on the other line here I want to bring in in a moment, Dr. Dietrich Wow. If he were to use that carpet cleaning standard and give it to one of his lawyers and say, hey, you know, um, somebody's being accused of causing an indoor air quality problem in a home after cleaning a carpet, and here's your defense. They followed this standard. What, was your, what would your thoughts be on that? Well... First of all, in a theoretically, I like the idea of a standard uh, in the sense that it kind of gives you a, a point, uh, kind of some uh, minimum benchmark. Um, the and, and in the case of the carpet cleaning standard, I think that the um, the way it's well, I, I I don't use the IICRC standard in my own business as as a way of telling me how to do, how I should clean. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, so I guess I'm a hypocrite. I support it, but I don't follow <laughs> it. Uh, and maybe there's a lot of us like that. But I, I guess I I feel as though uh, with the knowledge and experience that I have, uh, I. I'm very comfortable. I know what I'm doing. The, the The good thing about a standard is it does establish a benchmark. The bad thing about a standard is, uh, especially in a in a business, a service business like carpet cleaning, is um, the bottom line is that uh, it it's really about the quality and commitment of the person delivering the service. It's going to determine whether it is good or bad. In other words, somebody. I, I've said this for years. Somebody could take the most expensive truck mount ever made and put a ding dong behind or on the wand, and they can destroy a carpet. Uh, and then you can take a uh, cup of soapy water and a and a brush and a towel in the hands of somebody who really knows and is committed committed to doing the right thing, and deliver a. a an excellent result. So, um, you know, the, you know, the, and it's hard for a standard to, how does a standard address the, 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 the people issue, the, that is really at the core of a service like this? Um, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I, I, you know, that's a great, I'm glad you bring that up because does that standard not allow for you to, Use your own professional judgment when you think it's, you know, appropriate and follow a different path than the standard. Is it just a base or is it something that you must follow? I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I guess I view it as being a base and I hope it is viewed as, as a, a base, but uh, I don't know if that's how it will be will be or is perceived uh, as a baseline or as a prescribed procedure guide. Uh, 
that's where the that's where they I guess where it gets kind of fuzzy. That's my 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 experience with the the few standards that they have written that I am familiar with is they do allow that. And I was just curious whether or not you knew uh, if the carpet cleaning standard allowed for that or not, and you've you've answered that, so thank you. But um, obviously, that would be something that we would, you and I, I guess, would agree that they should allow if it's not. You know, John, I got yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. If you think it's unfair, you know, you you don't have to answer it. Uh, <laughs> what What was the biggest scam that you think has been perpetuated on the carpet cleaning industry? You know, who perpetuated it, and why? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I don't have a single answer for that. Okay. Uh, I I you know I think really the probably the thing that that stands out. Um, <laughs> well, actually, I think I do. <laughs> I have a, an opinion on it. Uh, to begin with, you know, the stain master deal or whatever it was of the mid '80s. I agree with you. That's exactly what what I think, actually. And go ahead. The, but it had a, the the thing that's goofy about that is it also spurred, in my opinion, an awful lot of good things. So that I think thought there were good things, but where, where I was going to go is what one of the things that was. It spawned was Master Series, as right. you right. recall that. And right. to not, my mind, that was a total scam. That was a scam. That right. was a what were they thinking type thing. Right. Um, John, for us novices, could you explain for just a little bit more detail what was the Stain Master? I'm not familiar with that. Well, Stain Master carpet uh, came out in the uh, mid '80s, and it was uh, the fir- basically the first carpet product that that claim to uh, basically keep carpets from getting stained. Okay. And within the context, but primarily in the carpet right. cleaning into, in order, I'm sorry? I was going to say, you know, primarily resistance against, you know, red dyes, you know, Kool-Aid, uh, high C fruit punch juice, those types of, and this was those built, types of dyes. Built into the carpet itself or right. was, and, and right. because I don't want to confuse that with added, Okay, well, what happened was the dyes used to dye nylon were acid dyes. Okay. And these were acid dyes, which meant that they would they, they, they didn't know that it was Kool-Aid. It would still dye that carpet the same as the, the, the dyes that the fiber manufacturers had. So there was an issue with um, vulnerability of this carpeting. So fifth generation had a built-in stain resistance or a topically applied stain resistance from the fiber manufacturer that would resist this and the carpeting you know came out and along with it were all sorts of special procedures with how to clean it and then came this product line called master series okay which was then made sold by dupont uh to carpet cleaners and you know i thought it was a scam and i think a lot of other people did as well but what about today's john maybe you can help me with today's um you know add-ons that carpet cleaners sell you with um you know we'll scotch guard exactly exactly are are these uh worth buying or am i wasting my money when i get those things um 
actually, I, in my own business, I only, I, I will sell Teflon or Scotchgard, uh, both fluorocarbon, fluorochemicals, uh, and they do provide some resistance to, uh, basically makes, the way I describe it to my customers is it's, it's like a wax finish on a car. It mm-hmm. offers some protection to the paint, and, and uh, wax does, and this offers some protection to the fibers. Uh, but I've worked pretty closely with some of the carpet manufacturers, and based on uh, conversations I've had with them, I've become pretty convinced that in the first several years that a carpet is on the floor, if it's a good quality carpet, it isn't going, you know, it, it doesn't need a uh, treatment applied by the carpet cleaner. The, a lot of carpet cleaners say, well, they, when you clean it, you strip the stuff off. Well, it doesn't come off that way. But I think there is some value. Uh, I typically don't recommend it uh, in, in a carpet that's three years old or less. Over three to five years is when I start looking at it. And I think it does provide some value. But I also think, candidly, that an awful lot of carpet cleaners just – charge a, a very high price for that and because they don't charge enough for the cleaning that they do. So, you know, there's a lot of carpet cleaning companies that basically cleaning the carpet is a is a way to get in the door and they make their money on selling products like that. And, you know, they, they whenever you oversell and under-deliver, people become disillusioned. And I, I see that in my customers when I talk to them about it who, who have experience in the past it's not a miracle but there's a benefit to it okay Cliff, would you agree fair. you have some no, experience I, I would, with those type products no i would agree with you as well and i i think that your analogy was excellent uh i've heard another one used as well that it makes it a little bit easier for the cleaner to clean it next time uh, yeah, and, that's true. And that's also a be- <laughs> well, and that's a benefit because in certain situations, if the pricing is being done by the hour or whatever, uh, you know, it may end up saving the consumer some money. I've got a. Uh, I want to just ask you something else. You know, you've been involved with industry issues, uh, you know, in the past, and you know, you've been on the playing field, and kind of now you're sitting in the bleachers, kind of watching things happen again. What sort of industry issue or issues would cause you to come out of the bleachers and get onto the field again, you know, to get actively involved in, you know, industry affairs and politics and all that other stuff? Could we bring you out? (laughs) How can you entice me? Yeah. Truthfully, now, there there isn't anything in the carpet cleaning industry that would uh, entice me in that way. And that doesn't have to do at all with the industry. It has to do with my own priorities at home, with my family, uh, with my faith, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, that isn't to say that perhaps in the future, in maybe five years or so, I may uh, again feel like you know there there are things in the greater industry that. Um, I'm called to address or called to be involved in, but I kind of feel like the industry gets along well enough without me, and and I've got other things in my life that I really, really think. In many ways, in in the past, um, being an entrepreneur, kind of a workaholic, uh, I've you know, <laughs> my family has suffered as a result. I've you know I've worked 
very long hours at times when in the publishing business in particular when you're on deadline you know <laughs> you're working until it's done um, but you know I, I I can't I really don't see any issues there are things that are that interest me but I I feel as though I need to focus on the home front uh, at this point in my life my uh, uh, my wife's had some health issues that have been difficult, and our youngest is now 12, so we can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and probably when uh, Alex gets into college, then we could take a look at uh, less time focused on family, and, of course, then we have grandkids coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, let's bring, uh, let's bring Dr. Wild back in here before we go. Dieter, are you still with us? Yes, I am. Great. Anything you'd like to add before we wrap yeah. up? <clears throat> Certainly. I mean, you know, with these lawsuits and a standard, you know, I'm involved with it basically, I mean, during the last 30 years. And, you know, you've got to keep in mind, first, if nothing goes wrong, you know, usually you don't, you know, you don't need a lawyer. If you don't need a divorce and you don't want to have a divorce, you don't call a lawyer and say, hey, how much does it cost to get a divorce? <laughs> but you've got to be aware of the fact that lawyers are hired to cloud the water. And it, 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 this has nothing to do with anybody else. If I'm a lawyer on the other side, and there is a guy, he, he knows how to clean, I mean, better than anybody else in the world. And he says, look, that IRCRC standard, I really, you know, I, I don't need that anymore. Well, I would harp on that and just give the jury uh, the taste, you know, the bitter taste in his mouth. And I said, look, here is this guy. He, see, you know, he thinks he is so fantastic. And here is that body that has worked years and years and years to get that standard out. And he ignores it completely. So therefore, he's incompetent. Therefore, you know, he, uh, he doesn't know what he's doing. That's what the lawyer wants, you, uh, wants to do. Okay. That is his job. No, yeah. We understand that, yeah. Yep. Right or wrong, that's his job. Now, what, right. does, what does the other side do, though, to come back and defend the guy who's, you know, maybe he is qualified enough to, to not follow that standard? Oh, sure. I mean, there are. Of course, there are always two sides. Okay. And, um, you know, a, a good track record, he's doing that for 30 years. Okay. Uh, he was, like in this case, he was even working with those guys years ago. He was on the committees. He knows what he is doing. And uh, people should listen to him rather than the other way around. That's how you want to do that. Beautiful. Dieter, you're <laughs> always, I love having you on. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's great perspective on, on, on that. From, from, yeah. from the position of when they you know, when things go from uh, normal to crazy, uh, you know, if you end up in court, things are crazy. Yeah, I was just deposed. If we have a minute, sure, sure. I I had done years ago and some air sampling for us, and I send it to one of the best laboratories around here in Pittsburgh. Doesn't matter who it is, no, wait, but they are certified, that? and all the people are trained, and 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 and. Yeah, during a deposition. Did you bring the samples over? Well, I could answer this one. Yes. said, were you in the room uh, when they looked at the sample? I said, yes, I was. I said, but you don't know the magnification. You don't know the resolution of that. You know, 
if you have a certified laboratory which has a track record, yeah, I don't. It's not my job to jump into that lab and 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 check their records. I have to assume that they have the records that they calibrate. Did you see the calibration of that microscope? No, I did not. But I had to assume that this one yeah, was, of course, done correctly. But again, that's one of those things that a lawyer does um, to kind of put a, a doubt in a, in a jury's mind. And I said, hey, that while isn't all that good as uh, his lawyer made him, and he should have done more than he did, that, that makes the water cloudy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, they, that's a profession that specializes in fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Yeah, yeah. Fud tactics. As, uh, yeah. When you were talking about it, I was thinking of Johnny Cochran. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. He was fabulous at that. He was. Well, ex- exactly right. In fact, when I had a lot of friends that said, Dita, how, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm expert witness, and I do. Then fortunately, whenever it was, 10 years ago, the O.J. Simpson trial was on. I said, that's what I'm doing. I said, oh, my God. That's, that's a terrible job. Yeah. You are on those, and you say that 2 plus 2 is 4, and Johnny Cockroach comes, and all of a sudden, it's either, it's either 3 or 5, or somewhere in between, but certainly not 4. <laughs> Uh, and the poor man is dead. Uh, yeah, well, sorry to hear that. But again, <laughs> that's his job to <laughs> make the water cloudy, put question marks up. And I said, hey, you know, that, that's, that guy didn't know what the hell he was doing. And, and the interesting part is that, you know, it depends on whether you're in a, a criminal trial or a civil trial as to what the... Uh, you know, yep. the, the standard is for... The standard for, is, sure. Yeah, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt versus a preponderance of the evidence. Yep. Typically, yep. these guys, like John, would be in a civil trial, I would imagine. Right. And Probably, so, yes. So they're really going to try and muddy the waters there. Uh, oh, sure. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dieter. John, we uh, always appreciate having the pioneers on. Along, you know, Dieter's one of our pioneers, uh, in case you haven't noticed, John. Uh, <laughs> I, I got that impression. <laughs> I, I was supposed to be retired, but... <laughs> All it took was ringing me back. We, we keep bringing them back. Uh, another lunch, and hey, we'll bring them yep. back. But uh, we, uh, before we go, is there anything that we missed that you'd like to add, John? Um, well, uh, just briefly, there is, is uh, one thing in the carpet cleaning industry today, it's kind of related to this idea of standards, uh, and uh, that is a um, cleaning testing program uh, that tests cleaning equipment, cleaning systems, cleaning chemicals, etc., that uh, has been uh, put together by the uh, Carpet and Rug Institute. And it's caused quite a stir among professional carpet cleaners for many of the reasons that we're kind of alluding to with uh, like a cleaning standard and things like that. And and essentially, this is a cleaning equipment and chemical standard uh, setting benchmarks or baselines uh, for performance of cleaning products. And it, it is, I guess, the... The thing about it is, on a philosophical level, I really like the idea of um, consumer reports, of, of 
basically uh, informed awareness, uh, education, so, so people know what they're buying. There's an awful lot of, historically in the cutting industry, there have been a lot of people that were selling a pig in a poke, and um, they weren't selling it as a pig in a poke. So, you know, they, to be able to establish some uh, objective data to say, you know, carpet cleaning equipment should be able to do such and such, should be able to extract a certain amount of soil uh, in a certain amount of time, that chemicals should be able to clean without uh, damaging the stain-resist treatment. Uh, or damaging the carpet in other ways it, without uh, having a sticky residue that's going to attract soil so the carpet gets dirty in two months. I, I really think those are good things. However, uh, the other side of it is that uh, what has been done has provoked a lot of uh, ire. It, it really, to me, harkens back to stain master uh, and what happened back then when they came up with new carpet now they're coming up with with um, these things where they're going to tell cleaners view this as uh, the carpet manufacturers are going to tell cleaners what they can clean with before they're telling them how they could clean and it the carpet cleaning industry is comprised of a lot of pretty darn independent minded people um, and as a result, there's a, a lot of pushback from the industry. So in, in addressing it, I don't really, I guess I feel as though both sides need to understand, and I'm, I'm not sure that always happens initially, but both sides need to understand what the other side is trying to accomplish and then figure out a way to make it work. And I think at its core, the carpet manufacturing industry is trying to ensure that its product is properly maintained. And it's trying to use this as one way of doing it. Uh, and I, I applaud that. I agree with it. Um, but on the other hand, there, there are all kinds of issues, uh, equipment that is no longer manufactured, how do you get it certified and things like that, that the professional carpet cleaners have uh, brought up as objections to the program. And I, I guess I, for, for both sides, uh, I, I, I think it's really important that they see what the other side is trying to accomplish and rather than seeing it as a attempt to uh, manipulate them or uh, destroy them, uh, to, to see it as something that has the potential to be beneficial to everybody, uh, and then figure out a way to make it work. And, and in that regard, I, I just in the last couple of days did read something uh, that from the Carpet and Rug Institute that uh, it, they have uh, modified their certification protocols to accommodate quite a few of the objections 
regarding old equipment that can't get certified and and things like that. So uh, I think that's a big issue specifically with carpet cleaning that over um, over the next few years could either be a good thing or it could be a bad thing, and I'm, I'm just hoping it's a good thing. Cliff, did you have anything to add? Yeah, I did, actually. John, I've heard you refer to yourself as a formerly important publisher, <laughs> and I just wanted to tell you that I admire you on both a professional and a personal level, and in my opinion, you are a formidably important person, uh, <laughs> and we thank you for joining us today, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll have you back in the future on another show. It was great. And well, how, how would guests contact you if they wanted to uh, ask a question or touch base with uh, you? I assume probably email would be the best way, and my email address is j. Downey, and it's D-O-W-N-E-Y, at johndowneyco.com. Thank you, John. We really appreciate having you on. And Dieter? Thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. Dieter, if you're still there, thanks again for joining us. I'm still here. I don't know whether I'm muted or not. Nope. You are unmuted. We left you oh, okay. unmuted. Uh, yeah, hey, good being here. I always learn something. I, we always learn something from you as well. That's the whole point of IAQ. The yeah, whole point. <laughs> Thanks again, Dieter. Okay. Pleasure. And see you next uh, Friday at noon. Next Friday at noon. All right. This is Joe Hughes saying thanks to my co-host, Cliff Slotnick. Hey. Our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, to cyber jockey, Zach Zotlick, Zlotnick, but most importantly to our growing group of loyal listeners. Don't forget about the new website, www.iaqradio.com. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.